Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Rhetoric. Berto Will is your host. Today we have the honor of speaking to Clevon Harris. She left a career of writing for television behind and returned to Philadelphia, where she planned to pursue a career in teaching. He's in, in as a substitute. She was confronted by disruption and violence that undermined both the learning environment and her aspirations. Still hoping to contribute, she wrote an insightful firsthand account of the conditions and real life challenges teachers and students face on a daily basis in her book calls. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Sub inside the notorious school of District of Philadelphia. Hello and welcome to Politics Done Right. Miss Harris, how are you doing today? I'm fine, Eberto. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I tell you what, um, I, am, I am excited to hear a little bit about what's in your book and what you found as a sub, because I think, first of all, let me, let me just tell you something about what I think about teachers, and I've been preaching this for a very long time. I think, I think teachers are, uh, represent the most important profession, bar none, because you all are the ones who move knowledge forward. Whether you're an engineer, I'm an engineer. Whether you're a lawyer, I have relatives that are lawyers, doctors, relatives that are doctors, etc. You are the ones who move knowledge forward. So I always find it problematic that we don't give the respect or the resources necessary for folks like you to get the job done. First of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. About me? Yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> So, as you said, I, you know, primarily I think of myself as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I've done for the majority of my life. Uh, when I was in college, uh, you know, there were two roads. I was thinking about teaching. I was thinking about writing. And I, I wound up going down the writing road. Spent a lot of time in um, ad agencies, um, in communication departments, uh, had a chance to write for TV, uh, et cetera. But eventually got to a point where uh, it wasn't going the way I wanted to go and I didn't feel fulfilled. And I felt like I was wasting the education that I had an opportunity to, um, to have. So I wanted to do something to contribute to, to, you know, to help out the community. And I decided that I was going to become a teacher. At the time I was living in Los Angeles there, you can get emergency credentials. So um, I applied and I was just on the verge of getting a classroom when it occurred to me that, you know, I could actually go home and be near my family and I could teach in Philadelphia. So I decided to come home and then I discovered that Philadelphia doesn't do emergency credentials. (laughs) So I needed to go back and get fully certified in order to teach, which takes about two years. And I was willing to do that. But at the time they said, but we need substitute teachers right now. So um, we would love for you to sign up and, and get out there in the pool because we're really, really desperate. And so I thought that would give me an opportunity to see what was going on out in the schools. And, and I signed up. Now, I, I, I want to go a little bit before that, because I, I might not 
hearing you on the cell yourself, weren't you a writer for uh, TV shows, etc.? I was. I was. I had an opportunity to, I, I went to the University of Southern California uh, School of Cinematic Arts for my master's degree. I went to Swarthmore College undergrad. And um, when I graduated from graduate school, I had an opportunity to work on a show called Living Single, um, a show called 704 Hauser, which was one of Norman Lear's shows. Um, and I also worked on a show called For Your Love, and then did some freelances for Soul from the Series, Farscape. I also freelanced for Star Trek uh, Voyager. So that's what I was doing. The reason I wanted to bring that up is um, you, you may, you may kind of not play that up as big as it should, but usually when we have a lot of people that get themselves into that industry, the last thing they're going to think about is coming back home and teach there is a special type of person that actually does that. So I, I think we need to get put that part of the context into um, who you are, in my humble opinion. But now as... At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Far as, um, as far as what you found when you went to Philadelphia, um, uh, one of the things I think uh, folks say is that I, I think somewhere you asserted that the children pretty much are set up to fail in these schools. Exactly what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is that they're not actually getting the first rate quality education that they need in order to succeed in life. And if you're not getting the education that you need to succeed, then that kind of sets you up for, for failure, you know, or for maintaining the status quo. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard that, you know, the whole situation is, is very, very complicated. And I don't think that people are necessarily intentionally trying to destroy the lives of children or destroy their futures. But I think that there's, there is a certain level of, of negligence and um, of not understanding the, the consequences of decisions that are made at the federal level, at state level. Um, everyone knows that resourcing, funding is an issue. Everyone knows this. They don't, may not necessarily understand all the ins and outs of it. But when I first started teaching in Philadelphia, it was just ridiculous. They, you know, we didn't have decent textbooks. There was, there were no laptops, smart boards. Uh, it was just, it was just crazy. It was, it was very different from going to a private school or a Catholic school. And the conditions in the schools were, were not that great. So, um, you know, that was the first time I went out because I actually subbed at two different times. I subbed from 2001 to 2002. And then I quit because I was like, this is just too hard and I can't do it. Um, and then I want, but I wound up writing a journal while I was subbing because I was so frustrated and upset by what I was seeing. Now, is that the genesis schools. of your book, uh, of your book, Sub Inside Notorious School District of Philadelphia? It is. It is. Okay. That's that's where the book came from. I was actually thinking about writing an article. A friend of mine said, hey, I think this is a book, you know, and, and you should really keep at it. And so 
I started working on the book, but didn't finish it. Got caught up in, in working out in corporate America, in uh, advertising agencies, et cetera. And then, but it always stayed with me. I always followed what was going on with the schools and, and how they were doing. And there was a, a lot to follow in Philadelphia and across the U.S. And following Philadelphia, I began to understand that there were things that were happening, things that were, that were actually playing out across the country in a lot of different large urban school districts. So I just kind of kept track of that. And then eventually I got to a point where I thought, I need to finish that book. I need to go back and finish it, but it's been a while. So I need to go back out and sub again and see if anything has changed. And when I went back out to sub, I found that some things had changed. Some things had gotten better. Some things had gotten worse. Some of the things that had gotten better were there seemed to be more resources, still not enough money to, to really you know, make sure that the, the schools were, you know, that their environments were very clean and um, environmentally safe. In Philadelphia, we had a, a, a huge problem with and have a huge problem with asbestos and lead pipes, um, mold, mildew. Some schools had uh, bug infestations uh, or mice. And, you know, funding is one of the things that, that affects all that. You know, I found that there the teachers, the second time I went out, seemed to be less burnt out, less frustrated, less, you know, trying to figure a way how to get out of teaching um, and more dedicated and determined to make it work. But at the same time, there was so much more disruption in the classroom. When I went back out the second time, it was just, it was kind of unbelievable. I came from a Catholic and private school background and that wasn't tolerated in the classroom. You know, school was a safe calm place, a, you know, a safe space for you to learn and, and grow. And I don't think that a lot of the kids who are in large urban underfunded school districts are, are having that same opportunity. Now, when you talk about, because I noticed you, that's, that's mentioned quite a bit, how um, uh, the, the classroom is not really kept accountable for discipline and that, that sort of a thing. What do you attribute that to other than, let's say, issues at home and no control in school? What, what would you suggest that uh, needs to be done in an urban environment to mitigate that problem? You know, that was one of the things that, that really struck me when I first started subbing. <clears throat> and I had the opportunity to sub at um, all together, uh, about 67 different schools. I had over 90 67? 67 different schools. Wow. And I found that that disruption was, was prevalent in the vast majority of those schools. And I didn't understand, when I first started subbing, I really didn't understand why I talked to a lot of teachers, administrators, counselors, I did research. And what I came to um, understand and to believe is that um, there's something called the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. Mm -hmm. And this is a federal law which dictates that to the maximum extent appropriate, all children with disabilities, whether those disabilities are disruptive or not, managed or not, are to be educated in the general education setting. And for a lot of kids who have disabilities or disorders, that's fine. And they do well and they thrive in that setting and they can grow and learn. But for some kids, and specifically, I'm talking about the children that have emotional and behavioral disorders that are unmanaged and that have learning disabilities that are, that are unmanaged and unaddressed, there have been study after study after study that 
says that these children do better in a smaller environment with teachers who have specialized training, aides that have specialized skills so that they can support them as they grow and as they learn. But unfortunately, because there's a federal law saying that this, you know, that this is the way it's supposed to be, a lot of those children are funneled into the general education classrooms where it's hard for them to thrive and be successful. And so they wind up being not being able to keep up emotionally, uh, socially, academically. And that's hard. That's a lot of stress and pressure on a child. So they, you know, some of them have a tendency to, to act out, disrupt the class, fight and argue with their classmates, fight and argue with the teachers. Sometimes they resort to violence. They walk in and out of the classrooms, um, scream and holler and cry. And this goes on sometimes all day long. It, it happens day after day, week after week, until eventually the kids graduate and to the next grade and they move to the next grade together. But as they move from grade to grade, that learning loss multiplies. Well, by the time by the time they get to, to middle school, they're behind. And by the time they get to high school, for a lot of them, it's too late to catch up. All right. I, I want to go back to something that you said. I mean, because what you're telling me is that, in fact, there can be the, the, some of these laws are bad. Uh, now, so first of all, it is it is correct that uh, these disruptive students don't only disrupt themselves. They probably disrupt their peers as well. And yes. Peers as well. Is that correct? Yes. You know, and that's that's one of the things is like they're holding themselves back. And they're also holding back their classmates and they're making it very difficult for the teachers to teach. Now, that being the case, having a bad law that you're talking about, why hasn't anything been done about it after we have the experience that shows uh, that it's problematic, not only for the, the people that's disrupting, but the disruptors? You know, that's a that's a great question. You know, I, I don't know that I would say that it's a bad law. You know, I would say that there are some components of it that need to be revised. Um, so primarily what the law is for is to make sure that children with disabilities are able to be included in the classroom settings, that they're not um, excluded, they're not pushed to the side, that they're getting the things that they need in order to be successful. I think the problem with the law is that um, it doesn't take into account the disruption that happens when the children are not functioning well in the general ed setting. It's not taking into account the fact that a lot of schools just don't have the funds or the personnel to support those kids while they're in the general classroom setting. And it doesn't allow the schools to determine which of the students are actually doing well in the large, you know, in the general ed setting and which of the students would do better in smaller specialized classes. And henceforth, my next question, are these kids the exception based on the way you are talking, the exception has almost now become the rule. And if that is the case, uh, what needs to be done or what can be done? You know, I wouldn't say that they've become the rule. I would say that in the majority of the classrooms I was in, the ones that I was in short-term, the ones that I was in long-term, it was easier to observe long-term, that perhaps there might be two or three kids in that classroom 
who were very challenging to work with. Um, and then of those two or three, the longer you work with them, you might be able to, you know, establish a relationship, work with their parents, work with the counselors in the schools and kind of get them to, um, you know, just start to, to be able to function well in the classroom. But there might be one child that really is struggling under the burden of whatever their disorder is. That one child can stop the learning process for everyone else in that classroom. If I have to stop teaching a lesson because I have to go pull that kid off of another kid because they're fighting this other kid for no reason or because they're just constantly disrupting or they're walking back and forth in and out of the classroom, you know, that's a lot. That, that stops the process of learning. So you have to ask yourself, how much are, we, are those kids losing in terms of education in a single day? Is it 10%, 20%, 30% of their education? And then how does that multiply and how does that impact them in the long run? You know, it's amazing because, I mean, there are so many problems that we have in this society that if, if, if kids just had good health care, meaning health care, meaning mental health care, body health care, everything, so much of this wouldn't be an, be an issue. So um, what would you say uh, you want people who read your book, Sub, inside the Notorious School District of Philadelphia, which I imagine, uh, based on what you've seen, it probably reflects urban schools throughout the country. What would you um, what would you want folks to get out of that book? And also, uh, what would you want them to um, do based on what they get out of that book? You know, it's when I when I first started writing it, you know, what I wanted to, to share with people is I wanted to share my experience, because as someone on the outside of this, a lot of times, you know, people will look at an underperforming school. Or, or some schools that they'll term as failing schools. And I'll be like, well, what's wrong with that school? It's, it's the kids, it's the students. They just can't do any better. Or it's the teachers, they're not good teachers. You know, or the administrators don't care. And a lot of times it's, it's none of the above. You know, it's none of the above. At the same time, there is a big problem and people need to understand what it is. So it's not just, you know, it's that. And it's also the funding situation. And I just... I wanted parents to know that their kids might be dealing with something very difficult on a daily basis at school. And you need to ask your kids what's going on. And you need to ask them every day because they might have a couple of good days and then they may have quite a few bad days because of one child or two children in their, in their classroom. So parents need to know and they need to advocate for their kids. And then politicians need to understand the ramifications of the things that they decide. I think in 2004, maybe, they decided to revise IDEA. And what they added is, instead of just making it that uh, children with disabilities could be removed from a classroom if they brought in guns, bombs, or drugs, they added, or if they do serious bodily harm to another child or a teacher. Why are we letting things get to that point where they're doing serious bodily harm? The last assignment I had, the first time I was out, I was there because there was a teacher who had struggled with one child all year long. She kept asking for help. She didn't get the help she needed. And two months before the end of the school year, he pushed her backwards over a chair and wow. she hurt herself really badly. I mean, and that's, that's not a rare instance. There are a lot of teachers who have been hit, kicked. I've been hit. I've been kicked. Um, I've been pushed. You know, a lot of, a lot of teachers go through that and it's, you know, it's not, 
it's not it's not fair it's not helpful and it's and it's not helping to move anything forward you know based on what you're saying and, and what you're asking parents to do it seems like if people simply go ahead and became a bit more engaged in in the school system i mean people are working hard um Clavon, and uh, it, it, you know the way our society is set up right now it's just so difficult for people to wear all the hats they have to wear so we depend sure. on on folks, you know, folks that are writing about this, putting this information out there for other people to make decisions. The last question I always ask of everybody who shows up here is, what would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? Um, I think that one of the other things that I, I wanna put out there for folks, because a lot of people are like, okay, well, that's not my kid's issue. You know, why should I be concerned about this? Um, funding is an issue achievement is an issue. And if, if we could raise the achievement level for black and brown students up to the same level as native born white students, the gross domestic product of the United States would increase by $500 billion a year. They've actually done the calculations for that. If we raise the achievement level of all students in the United States, black, brown, white, whatever, to the basic level of achievement, on the National Assessment for Education Pro Progress, we raised everyone to that level, there would be an increase of $30 trillion in our gross domestic product. That's a lot of money that could circulate in, in the United States, in our economy, uh, and a, a lot of money that would help us remain globally competitive and way more money than we would need to fix and fund all the schools. Clavon Harris, writer, teacher, author of the book, Sub Inside the Notorious School District of Philadelphia. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. Alberto, thank you for having me. I really, truly appreciate it. Thank you very much. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.